are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. There is a difference between intelligence and wisdom. And it was illustrated here in this old story of a uh, favorite course that was offered at a university. And this favorite course, it was called the Survey of New Testament. And it was a favorite because there was no homework involved. There was no reading, no test before the final. And the final, for 25 years, the same professor had always presented the same exact question, which was, describe the missionary journeys of Paul. So a young man who, I didn't name him, but in the story, his name was Meathead, okay? He was a star on the school's football team, and he took this course. And a tutor helped him prepare all semester long for the final exam. And when the day of the test came, Meathead was ready. He knew everything about every journey Paul ever took. He knew about Philippi and Thessalonica, Rome and Tyre. He knew about Timothy and Barnabas and Luke. He was ready to go. But when the final exam was passed out, students from students all over that great auditorium were stunned to see a new question. For the first time in a quarter century, the professor decided to ask a different question. Instead of a question about Paul's missionary journey, this was the question. Critique the Sermon on the Mount that was preached by Jesus. And the shock felt across, was felt across the room. And a young man got up, took his blue book, a little book that was designed to hold his entire essay. He walks over to the professor, and he threw it down on the professor's desk. And the book was empty. He didn't know how to answer the question. And one by one, all the students after the other, none of them, they all left. And none of them were able to answer the question except for Meathead. And so there Meathead, Meathead sat, and he opened his blue book, and he began to write. And he wrote, and he wrote, and he wrote. And the professor's assistant came back an hour later, and there Meathead was, still writing, writing. Then two hours passes by, and there Meathead was, going at it. And for full three hours, Meathead filled up his entire blue book. That afternoon, the professor had two stacks of blue books. On his right, a tall stack of empty blue books, all with the grade of F. And on his left side, one, one single blue book with a big, bold A-plus right on top, and it was Mehed's. And so the friend asked Mehed, dude, what in the world did you write about? He said, read it. And on the first page was the opening sentence, who am I to criticize the Sermon on the Mount? Instead, let me tell you about the missionary journeys of Paul. Meathead had discovered wisdom. <laughs> Joking aside, maybe we can contest if Meathead was actually being wise or not, or just clever or lazy. I don't know. But I say all this to illustrate that there is really a huge, radical difference between what people think wisdom is and what it really is. I'm sure if you have a father or a mother or a grandparent who's absolutely loving and sincere and has amazing, wonderful stories to tell, that you would automatically label them as someone who is wise. You got some wise people. Usually the elderly are wise. But we need to understand that there is God's wisdom, right? God's wisdom that's very distinct and comes from his word and his Holy Spirit. And then there's the sort of pseudo 
quasi-wisdom that takes on many forms, sometimes sounding spiritual, but it really is just based on experience or based on intellect or based oftentimes the straight out has nothing to do with God's agenda and so therefore it is counterfeit wisdom. Turn to your neighbor and say this, let's get some real wisdom. So in this text, we read a warning to teachers and, again, anyone who has any influence that with the power of our tongues, we're instructed to make a crucial distinction between true and fake wisdom among God's people. And the message that James is giving serves two purposes. One is to guard against those who are in our midst and acting as spiritual-wise mentors or peers, but who are really just giving, offering counterfeit wisdom. And second, to evaluate our own hearts to see if we've been offering counterfeit wisdom. Okay? So what does this fake wisdom look like? Counterfeit wisdom is counterfeit. Counterfeit means look alike. When I was traveling around the world and I stopped by Italy, I was in Rome, I saw counterfeit designer bags as far as the eye can see. Okay? You know what I'm talking about. You've been to New York, right? I've even picked up a few just to look at a little bit more closely. And living in a culture here that elevates designer trends and having walked for probably over 25 years of my life in Tyson's too, I know how much handbags cost, especially the name brand ones. It's not cheap. I know that a Versace or a, I, rec I recently found out the correct pronunciation, Hermes, I called it Hermes before, Hermes purse can fetch up anywhere between $1,000 to get this, an Hermes Birkin bag, Perosis Crocodile Rose Scheherazade Palladium hardware bag, forget this, $96,750. You can buy it right now on Hermes.com. You can. I just looked it up, okay? So when I was in Rome, and I picked up a Versace, right, or an Hermes bag, and I saw the price tag, and I know how much these things go for in this area here, real ones, and I saw a whopping price of $75. I was like, this is fake. <laughs> You're like, good job, genius. I was like, this is totally fake, guys. Guys, this is fake. It was fake. And though it looked a lot like the real thing, you know just after a few years of wear and tear, the counterfeit bag would probably just disintegrate or evaporate, right? And so we need to apply this counterfeit idea to the other things in life as well. In our culture, we think that having a prestigious-sounding title or books published or having multiple degrees or well-known followers will automatically make someone more credible these days. But here we read that while people may look respectable, that they are actually fake that they are actually counterfeit. And the things that they like to share and speak on are actually wrong. Verses 14, 16, they use these keywords. Keywords like bitter and envy and selfish ambition. And all these things, all that is wrapped up in the sheepskin of wisdom. So what does a person with counterfeit wisdom look like? These people would be quick to point out all the wrong things with everyone. These people would never say, I don't know, I'll get back to you. 
And they would attempt to have an answer for everything, even when they don't know. This person has an agenda, and his agenda has absolutely nothing to do with God, but everything to do with his own personal advancement, his own cause, his own solution to the situation. This person who exudes counterfeit wisdom is constantly competitive and who gets jealous if he gets outdone or outshone. This person is driven and presumably accomplished, but is willing to do anything to, see, to succeed even at the expense of others. And yet, when we meet these kinds of people, sometimes we come to admire them. We admire their drive. We admire their confidence, their opinions, their life quotes. Steve Jobs, is notorious for not being the most pleasant person to work with. In fact, people hated working for him and with him. And yet you hear many protect him by saying, well, he had to be that way in order to make Apple what it is today. But what you'll soon realize as you watch closely over time is that these people, under the respectable cloak of wisdom, that there's a harsh, bitter, envious zeal begins to emerge from their lives people who have counterfeit wisdom. And that this zeal takes the form of self-serving ambition and it becomes about their passion and their drive and nothing else. Now we might think, well, it's good to have someone of this kind of drive to get things done. Maybe it's not counterfeit wisdom, Pastor David. Maybe it's just an aggressive drive. Maybe it's just really being passionate. But verse 16 gives us the answer. It reads, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Meaning this, jealousy and selfish ambition, it produces disorder and evil or vile practice. This doesn't mean that everything you do will implode in your face, but, if you, but it will leave a wake of broken relationships and bitter memories. And if you have that, then that's your disorder and evil practice. You know, my father, Pastor Lim, Whenever he hires anyone onto our church staff, he asks one single question to the senior pastor of the church that the candidate is leaving. And this is the question. It's not, can you send me, what do you think about his resume? Or what are his interests? Or how is his family life? It's none of that. He would ask one single question, and after that senior pastor would respond, he would then hang up the phone. And that single question is this. Would you hire him again? Would you hire him again? Because it doesn't matter if that candidate has built up the church to the size of a mega church, but if he used counterfeit wisdom and destroyed relationships with the leadership and those around him. See, it doesn't matter how successful you are in the eyes of the world. If you're still practicing counterfeit wisdom, you're leaving a wake of destruction, of broken relationships. It's easy to figure this out. Impure motives like envy and selfish ambition, they tend to use impure means. And actions that are driven by impure motives that use impure means will produce impure results. In other words, disorder and vile practice. This means if I was like that as your pastor, God forbid, but if I was like that as your pastor, there should be constant confusion, constant strife, constant disruption, constant division. People's lives are being destroyed. The leadership is being destroyed. Truth would be unclear and therefore being compromised. Justice and peace would be abandoned. People here and in our ministry would be accepting and open to disobedience and obvious wickedness. 
And by the way, I'm not talking about difference of opinions here. I'm talking about counterfeit wisdom. I'm talking about false wisdom. False or counterfeit wisdom is not God-centered. You get that? It's not, it has nothing to do with God. Counterfeit wisdom. So people who say and try to try play it off like they know everything, that they know a lot, that they can lead you to God, but really has nothing to do with God, that's counterfeit wisdom. Why? Because counterfeit wisdom is not cross-bearing. It's not sacrificial. It's not about promoting Christ. It's about promoting oneself. It has no compassion. It's not about denying oneself. It's not about the will of God. No, counterfeit wisdom is all about you being smart, being clever, knowing what to say, knowing how to handle a situation, all to cover your back and promote your personal, relational, and even positional advancement. And what's scary is that even in our Christian circles, even within our ministries, it comes under the guise of spirituality when it has absolutely nothing to do with the Spirit of God and everything to do with the Spirit of Satan. We must be careful of counterfeit wisdom. Can I hear an Amen. You know what's counterfeit wisdom? Let me give you an example. I'll tell you right now, the prosperity gospel. If you're succeeding in life, then you're doing well with God, they'll say. If you have no problems in life, then you have no problems with God, they'll say. But if you're going through any rough patches, maybe health issues, maybe financial issues, maybe relational issues, well, maybe it's because God's not happy with you. So you better start acting right. You better start living right. You better start doing things right so that you can earn, somehow merit God's favor and his grace again. And so you'll hear a lot of that kind of talk, even from respected leaders in churches. They'll say, see how well I'm doing? If you want to become like me, happy, wealthy, healthy, and successful, then pray as much as I do, fast as much as I do, give as much as I do, do as, as much as I do, and you'll get there. That's not spiritual wisdom. That's counterfeit wisdom and a wisdom that will send you straight to hell. But it doesn't come from even within just churches either because counterfeit wisdom presents itself at home too. Men think that just because they're the head of the household that they can abuse their families into submission, always assuming that they're right. And you can try to throw out as many biblical references as you want to justify your position, but you end up misapplying God's word to suit your own needs. Or what about women who are now more educated than ever? And that's a wonderful thing. But now with the feminist movement of liberalism, women feel that they don't have to take anything from anybody. And so it trickles into their relationship with Christ where they then begin to assert their equality with Jesus. Their equality with Jesus rather than their submission to Jesus. That's happening today, too. You can sense by these examples that much of what marks a counterfeit wisdom has to do with how they carry themselves, which brings us to my next point, and that is if you have wisdom that truly is from God, if you truly have godly, heavenly wisdom, then your wisdom should have the fragrance of godliness. Okay? Then your wisdom should be all about God. I have two great mentors in my life. I have many mentors, but I have two great mentors in my life. First and foremost is my father, Pastor Lim. I mean, he made me, right? And um, he's been mentoring me and leading me all throughout my life. And secondly, through my wife, I was adopted by her father, also a pastor, Pastor John Yee. And it's interesting when you talk to men who are not godly and men who are. 
These two here, when you talk to them, there's never a sense of pretension. They listen to you. They respect your opinion, no matter how weird it may be. They never exude a presence. You know what I mean? These men who aren't perfect by any means, they never try to hide their imperfections, but rather in their limited ways, they demonstrate that they are pursuing holiness by pursuing the cross. Their words are always about the goodness of God rather than the goodness of man. It's always about the work of Christ rather than the work of man. You know, ever since I got married to Grace, my mentors would always say this, my, my father-in-law and my dad as well, they would always say, I want both of you to be happy and to love the Lord. That's it. It was never about what they could get. It was never, there was never an ulterior motive because for them, true wisdom means to lift up God in our lives while counterfeit wisdom means to do the opposite. Who in your life is speaking truth into your life, but you find that it has nothing to do with promoting God in your life? If that person is speaking truth, but God is not increasing in your life, then they are offering, in fact, counterfeit wisdom, no matter how built up you may be. You get what I'm saying? And so, James gives us some insight into the characteristics of wise men and wise women. According to verse 17, I gathered three points. The first is this, purity. This means God's wisdom is pure above all things. It's pure from evil. It's pure in motive. This means that it's the opposite of flaw. It's the opposite of bitter envy or selfish ambition. This means that if we want to hold fast to the wisdom of God, we need to hold fast to the words of God. You get that? Say that to your neighbor. If you want to hold fast to the wisdom of God, you need to hold fast to the words of God. Because the truth of God's word is what's pure. When you counsel people or simply comfort one another, we've all done that, we've all been there, what do you tend to say? Words that come from your heart or words that come from the heart of God? Words that come from your heart or words that come from the heart of God. You don't know how many times I struggle with this, even as a pastor, especially when I counsel people. Man, whenever I, I, had, I had a conversation a few years back with a youth girl, and her father was abusing her, not sexually, thankfully, but still mentally and sometimes physically. And when I hear something so tragic like that, my immediate desire and, and what the words I want to speak is, you know what, forget your father. Hate him. He is lousy. Don't give him another chance. You know what? Leave him. I'll set you up at a hotel somewhere else. Leave him. Run away. Go to your... I want to say that with every fiber of my body. Because that's what my heart is at. I'm thinking, this is unjust, Lord. She needs to be saved. She needs to be removed from this type of environment. But the wisdom of God replaces that, thankfully. And allows me to look beyond just the immediate... You see, are you speaking out of your heart, from your heart, or from the heart of God? Because words that come from your heart, no matter how true it might be at that moment, tend to serve sometimes just your needs and your passions at that moment than God's. True wisdom is never promoting your desire over God's, you see. Secondly, God's wisdom is peace. There was a member a few years ago who knew a great deal of Scripture, 
But this individual was out to prove everyone wrong, no matter how slight and how small and almost insignificant the difference was. Instead of lifting up the fellow brothers or sisters to the truth, this person would attempt to destroy and almost humiliate them in all an attempt to make sure that they never forget the error that they've made. It often seems that the ones who are bent on making the truth of God known are oftentimes the ones who are most disruptive in the church blasting their brothers and sisters left and right as if they're the only ones appalled that no one but them cares about the purity of God's word. But here from this verse we read that purity of God's wisdom comes from peaceableness of God's wisdom. The battle for truth is not done with maliciousness or humiliation. This is something that I have to teach my members, you guys, as well as our youth students. Because when we teach apologetics, we, we teach about not only classical apologetics about, you know what, the truth is this because the Bible says so, but we also teach presuppositional apologetics talking about this is the deconstruction of your philosophical view and why what you think really doesn't really make sense in a rational, logical way. But the tendency is this, as Christians, when we're armed with that kind of philosophy, we can try to go and belittle the atheist, belittle the unbeliever, and be like, oh my gosh, you're ridiculous, how can you believe in something like that? And why, quite frankly, is no different from those who attack Christianity, right? And so we have to do it with peaceableness, because the battle for truth is not done with maliciousness, it's not done with humiliation, it's not done with destructiveness. The battle is not between us and our fellow brothers and sisters. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This means, friends and brothers and sisters, let's stop fighting against one another, against each other, and let's start fighting for each other. Okay? Let's start fighting for each other. We must, bring, we must bring peace to the table. Bring peace. Lastly, God's wisdom and needs to be practiced. You can get this from verse 13 and 18. This godly wisdom requires humble submission to truth. This humble submission to truth cannot be placed above the act of obedience. You can't say to yourself that you indeed pursue purity and peace, but you don't live it out. That doesn't make sense. True wisdom from God is true wisdom that is practiced in life through good deeds, through service, through compassion, and a desire to love God and love one another even at your own expense. True wisdom that is practiced looks like the members who may not have a degree in theology, who may not have memorized all of Scripture, but through their service, they dedicate their lives in consistent service, in consistent attendance, in consistent love for each other, in consistent obedience to the Word, in consistent grace, and in consistent forgiveness of one another. That's what it means. That's why people who I absolutely love and people who I absolutely admire and respect are the ones who tend to speak less and serve more. The ones who will show grace and forgiveness. That, to me, is the mark of a practiced wisdom. Amen? Absolutely. This is not a 10-step method to become a better you, a better Christian, because no matter how hard we attempt to pursue godly wisdom, we will always fall short. Always fall short. Like my mentors, they too will fall short, 
And like me as your pastor, I too will fall short. But James makes these points to create a guideline, a safeguard to protect one another and protect our own hearts from its own deceptive, deceitful tendencies. The only way anyone here could ever taste and ever experience the truest and most finest wisdom of God is not through life experience, people. It's not. It's not through life experience. It's not even through your own personal study of God's word. But the only way that you could ever experience the truest wisdom like Solomon experienced when he prayed out to the Lord is through the spirit of the risen Christ. Through the spirit of God. That is the only way. Your theology will not perfect your wisdom. Your many years lived will do nothing to point people to truth. The many crossroads of your life that ended with good decisions is still not enough to direct people to what true wisdom is. True wisdom is that God is God alone, but apart from his grace through his son, Jesus Christ, that truth will never be known to us. I think we all need wisdom. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And I need it more than you do. Lord, have mercy on me. I need it more than you do. We all need wisdom. Now I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I need wisdom. Say amen when you agree with me. I need wisdom in my workplace. I need wisdom in my family. I need wisdom in my friendships. I need wisdom in my relationships. I need wisdom in my ministry. I need, I need wisdom even in my hobbies and interests. I need wisdom even in my off times. I need wisdom in everything. We need wisdom. We need wisdom. But wisdom does not come from others because they too are seeking for it. Wisdom comes from God in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you seek the wisdom of God, look no further than into the eyes of Christ. I end with this, 1 Corinthians 1, 20, 24. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly, foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Amen. Let's bow our heads, and as we end this service with our own meditative, repentant prayer, as we always should, I want you to kind of transition into uh, your prayer for communion and really be repented and evaluate where you're at with the Lord. Have you been harboring any type of ill will towards anyone? Have you been holding back any pride or any type of self-righteousness, thinking, no, no, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm set in my ways. I don't need change. That person needs to change. Have you been in any way um, just submitting to the temptations and sins of your life, saying, I am powerless over this, I can't do this? 
Or maybe you've just been compromising truth. Maybe you've been distorting the message of God, saying, God, is this what, really what you've been saying? Whatever it is that's in your life that is obstructing, blocking, creating a barrier, pray right now for the Spirit of God is present and ask Him to give you breakthrough. Ask Him right now. Say, Lord, I do not have the strength, but I lean on Yours. I do not have the willpower, but Lord, I pray according to Your will. Lord, I do not know the way, but You do. Would you take just a few moments to pray that prayer, and then we'll go into a time of communion. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In Christ Jesus, you are our only hope. You are our only hope in this life. Father, for there is no guarantee in anything that we do, in anything that we'll ever experience. Father, for today and tomorrow and next hour, is not guaranteed, for life is but a vapor. But Lord, it is in you that we confide in. It is you that we place our complete trust and hope in. Lord, you alone are our resurrection. That means you alone are our only hope, for you alone are the only guarantee in this life. And I thank you, Lord, that you have given us the opportunity to place our faith in you. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one in your great sovereignty in your great love and mercy, looked upon someone like me, looked upon people like us, and saw the sinfulness through and through. And yet despite all that sin, despite all that muck, despite all that constant rebellion that we don't want anything to do with you, Father, you still chose us and saved us and gave us your Son. Who are we, Lord? Who are we? And so we thank you Father, for that's all we can say to you. And I pray now, Lord, that we would now just no longer just be wisdom seekers, but we'd be those who practice it. Help us to practice wisdom. Help us to seek after wisdom and to seek it after your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for this great communion. We thank you for these two little things here, this juice and this bread that symbolize two great powerful truths. The blood shed on the cross for our sins and the broken body, Lord, and both that connect us to the new covenant in Christ Jesus. And so we hope for your resurrection. We thank you, Lord, for this moment, and we praise your name. We thank you. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.